Welcome to How Did They Get There, your one-stop podcast shop to discover how your favorite filmmakers got from A to B. Along the way, you'll hear secret tips to boost your clout, your market value, and of course, the size of your penis. For all you ladies out there, I am single, and I enjoy watching, talking about, and discussing film in all different types of settings. I also enjoy dogs and long walks on the beach. But hey, who doesn't love scintillating conversation either? Let's go on a journey together. A film journey. Let's be honest, this is either one of the best or one of the worst decisions you've ever made in your life. That's not the important part. The important part is you decided to stay and keep listening. So, if the verdict is true, you must be a glutton for punishment. Maybe a kleptomaniac, you know, maybe you you like to steal things from other people. But come on, let's not get swept up in this mania business. I mean, come on, we're all manic in some way already. We don't need to exacerbate that by getting manic over the word mania. Time for the first segment of the show. Mania over menacing impactors. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I investigate the lives of people that have made an impact on the world. And on today's episode, I want to talk about a guy named Shia LaBeouf. And I want to talk about how he became such a phenomenon. But at the end of the day, he's just an actor. He's a guy that made one hell of a life for himself. And I think it's really important, especially for young actors listening, to investigate how, how he did that. Um, you know, the first component of, of being an actor and being successful in show business is obviously being talented. And a lot of people that aren't talented decide that they want to pursue this dream. But it really isn't a dream. It's more like a fantasy for a lot of people. The people for whom it really becomes a job are the people that succeed. They're the ones that can take this thing, which is their talent, their small business, if you will, and they're able to monetize and make something of it. If you're interested in pursuing a career as an actor in show business, you're not gonna like my advice. And my advice is to study. Go to Tisch at NYU if you can afford it. Go to Juilliard, go to UCLA, go to USC, go to Stanford, go somewhere and study. Go to AFI, the American Film Institute, and make it a thing. Because the truth is, are you ready? You have to have some sort of differentiator that separates you from all the other actors that are like you in the market, whatever market you're in. Really take the time and put some energy and effort in your craft by studying. Character actors are just like stand-up comics that don't want a sitcom. All they want to do is make a living doing comedy. So they'll wait outside the comedy store on Melrose from 9.30, 10, all the way to 2 or 3 a.m. just so they can perform. So they can have an ounce of saying, hey, I got on stage today, Tommy put me on. And some nights, unfortunately, they don't get on. And I'm talking, of course, about the infamous Comedy Store Open Mic Night. They have one simple goal, and that's to become a regular of the comedy club. And this analogy, uh, I'm using comedy, obviously, also ties into character acting. Whenever you see a movie or a television show, and you see a guy that you recognize, but you don't know his name, and you've seen him in other things, and he's playing a different role, or he's using a different emotional mindset than he did in the previous performance that you remember him from, that can be labeled as a character actor. And in my opinion, that's truly acting. The most famous character actor is a guy named Daniel Day-Lewis. He's won three Academy Awards. All right. Most character actors are not nominated for those types of awards. It's just the way it is. It's the business. The three most successful character actors working today, in my opinion, are Michael Shannon, Steve Buscemi, 
and a guy named Gary Cole. Here's a quote from Michael Shannon that I think truly represents character acting. He was asked how it felt, the transition from being a nobody to being a celebrity. According to him, quote, That's Trump. That's not anything I ever imagined if the reason any of you listening are interested in acting just to be famous hear my words it ain't never gonna fucking happen and the reason isn't necessarily because you're not talented because a lot of people are talented the reason is you're in the profession for the wrong reasons people like that in the business unfortunately it's a it's a shame but they just don't last. It's not that they don't last because they quit. Uh, it's because they just don't get roles. They don't get called back on auditions. They, they go to an audition and, uh, you know, on the drive, they're, they're trying to psych themselves out. They want to make sure that they have some sort of edge on the competition, the competition being people that want the same role that they're auditioning for. But unfortunately for them, it doesn't work out like that. They walk in and there are a bunch of people that look exactly like that person. So this guy or this girl that thought that he or she was completely unique and completely different and separate from the competition, a gimme for the studio, is not who he or she thought that he or she was. According to uh, Alfred Molina, who you know from Spider-Man 2 as being the villain, and it's just the truth and it's a sad reality of the movie business. But ultimately, it doesn't matter for these types of guys because they still make a living and they still continue to work. Speaking of guys that work and continue to work, let's get back to LaBeouf. Grew up in this rough neighborhood in LA called Echo Park. Dad was like this veteran junkie guy and mom was trying to be a ballerina. In other words, to make ends meet, Shia sold trinkets with his mom outside on the street. But there was a problem with the trinket market. People that, are, that could have been lured in to become potential customers were not being lured in properly. So, unfortunately, Shia's family wasn't really making a profit. Until one day, someone in the family got the idea that Shia should dress up and dance and sing in order to lure in more customers. But unfortunately, man, people just weren't buying these trinkets. So now, Shia starts growing up and he's a little strapped for cash. And he notices that one of his good friends uh, worked on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, which was a show that was really popular, especially in the 90s. And this guy that worked on the show, he had these shoes that lit up, right? And Shia was really envious of these shoes. Now, around the same time is when he starts doing stand-up, when he's really young, you know, 12, 13. And he's going to the local clubs in California with his father because he couldn't go alone, of course. And no one liked when he performed because whenever he was getting on stage and whenever he was getting called up, everyone had to hide their liquor and their alcohol. They just they couldn't have it out because he was so young. So now he's a burden. And you never want to be that guy. You never want to be like bothersome to other people. So after cutting his teeth for a little bit and talking about his dick while he's doing stand-up in his sets, he decides to scour the yellow pages to get a manager. And in what seemed like would be his potential first acting role, uh, he started uh, cold calling people, right? He started cold calling managers. And he pretended to be this guy that was just promoting him. Uh, in, in an English accent. He pretended to be really big in Britain, but he just hadn't caught on in, in America. And that impersonation, it worked because ultimately he did get a manager. So now that he has a manager, he can have better access to auditions. And now he's able to book shows like Carolyn in the City and, and a TV movie on the Disney Channel called Breakfast with Einstein and a show called Jesse and a show called Suddenly Susan and a show called Touched by an Angel and the X-Files and ER and Freaks and Geeks. 
All these shows are shows that Shia worked on for a single episode each. He was living the guest star life. And when you're a guest star on shows, with the exception being situation dramas like ER, because if you're a patient, you're probably not going to have an arc, your goal is to become a recurring recurring day player, right? That's your goal at that position. But in this case, you know, for Shia, instead of turning what could have been a recurring role stemming from a guest spot uh, into a recurring role, uh, opportunity came up that he just couldn't pass up. So at this point, now Shia, armed with a manager, decides to go test for a pilot uh, that was supposed to be airing on the Disney Channel, a pilot called Even Stevens. Now, this was during Disney's period of transitioning to basic cable, right, from 97 to 2002, uh, right before they started to really take shape on that network and assert themselves as a powerhouse. And after testing with Christy Carlson Romano and Nick Spano and Donna Pescow and Tom Virtue, he ultimately booked the pilot, and he was really excited at this point. He moved in into like a shitty apartment complex with his father, and his father used to ride a, a motorcycle around, and so that's how we would get from A to B. A, of course, being his apartment complex, and B being the Burbank uh, soundstage where the show was filmed. And soon enough, the pilot got picked up, and three seasons and 100 episodes later, Shia was armed with a manager, some cool kicks that lit up, a show and a Daytime Emmy Award. Not too shabby considering he was only 16 when the show wrapped. One of the things I'm most interested in in doing this podcast is investigating how such ambition could f- be fueled in someone that grows up in, in like an Echo Park neighborhood. How does that happen? You know, your parents are hippies, your, your mom's a failed dancer, your dad's a junkie who smokes a lot of weed. So how do you get from nowhere to somewhere? And the truth is, I mean, Shy is a perfect fit. He can do drama, he can do comedy, he can do adventure movies, thrillers, uh, romantic comedies. He can pretty much do everything. And that's so important in this business. So now at this point, Shai has accomplished one important endeavor, and that is becoming a regular star on a television show. So after doing a couple of movies that that really kind of went nowhere, he had the pleasure of working in a film called The Battle of Shaker Heights, and that was a Project Greenlight film. Now, for those of you that don't know about Project Greenlight, that's essentially a collaboration. The face of it is Ben Affleck and, and Matt Damon working with producers like Harvey Weinstein. And there was a contest to see who would be the next breakout star for this production company. They were less interested in finding a, an actor uh, as, as opposed to finding a writer or producer or a director. They wanted to find people that really were on the behind-the-scenes creative side of the business that they felt would excel and really lead this indie revolution uh, that was first pioneered by guys like John Ford. And and so The Battle of Shaker Heights was really that first film for Project Greenlight in that second season, right? And uh, Erica Beanie wrote it. It was her vision and it worked out for her. Not necessarily in the traditional sense. Box office-wise, it made $280,000 on a $1 million budget, but it did break out Shia as a star, right? And it broke out guys like Eld- Eldon Henson, and Amy Smart. The film was made in 2003, and so this was right before uh, Just Friends, a couple of years before Just Friends, for Amy Smart, which really launched her into into prominence. And in this business, we care a lot about relationships, right? Relationships are really important. This no-name writer-director became the winner of a contest in which many people applied, worked with guys like Matt Affleck and Matt Damon and Chris Moore, who produced movies like Goodwill Hunting and American Pie, and made a film, made a feature. That's an accomplishment in itself. 2003 was also Shia's year. 
It really was his year because this was the year that he performed in Holes, right? As, as this guy Stanley Yilnats, who had the nickname uh, Caveman. This normal civilian guy whose family, uh, led by Henry Winkler, is struggling to make ends meet, uh, gets accused for stealing a pair of shoes that actually Cleo Thomas stole, ends up in this work camp that's similar to slavery in this town where it doesn't rain. Patricia Arquette's in it, Dual Hill's in it. The film was distributed by uh, Buena Vista Pictures, which is Disney's arm of distribution for many of their films, which they which they make. And it made $70 million on a $20 million budget. It was Shia's entry, his real entry, his true entry into the world of filmmaking. And now he became an artist that was on film. After Holes, he was in a movie called I Robot with Will Smith. He played a, a golfer, a caddy turned golfer in The Greatest Game Ever Played. Did a couple of movies like Constantine and Bobby, and then he did A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints. And that movie's like this independent, heartfelt drama. Directed by a musician named Ditto Montiel, who also directed Fighting, uh, years after with Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum, who was still an unknown relatively during in 2006, he won an Independent Spirit Award for his performance in A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints, in which he played uh, this guy named Antonio, who was essentially this dominant, forceful guy, and had this best friend Ditto who Shia LaBeouf played, and got praise for as well. Ditto Montiel, this guy from Astoria, Queens, this musician who uh, had cast Shia to play this part, he originally didn't want him to come into this movie. And the reason was he thought, he's too famous, this kid. He's been on a show for three years and he's done a bunch of movies. But Shia wanted the role. The way Shia was able to convince Ditto Montiel to play the part was, in the audition he came in and he broke a window with his fist. He basically said, I'm not fucking around here. I want this part. This is a great movie, by the way. Robert Downey Jr. essentially plays Shia when he's grown up. And Rosario Dawson's in it. After that movie, his second breakout role in film came. And that was a role in a movie called Disturbia. He played a guy named Kale. This this kid, 17-year-old guy, who's punched out his professor because he said something about his dead father. And now he's sentenced to house arrest for the summer. Now, while he's confined to his house, he has an ankle monitor, right? And uh, his neighbor, he suspects of being a serial killer. So with his two friends, Aaron Yu and Sarah Romer's characters, he gives himself the responsibility to figure out why this guy isn't in prison. What expedited the process of Shia actually getting to Serbia was, was Spielberg, his involvement in the film. He had seen Shia in holes and based off of his performance in that movie, uh, decided to cast him in this essentially this remake of Rear Window. Now, this is a great time to talk about the optioning versus the actual creation of a film. When the script was written in the 90s, it was optioned. When the studio options a film, all that means is it's essentially given the rights to make that film. So only DreamWorks in this case could have made the script for Rear Window. But the studio felt threatened, right? Uh, because Christopher Reeve was apparently making a remake. So in a couple of years, uh, the option expired and they never ended up making that remake of Rear Window. So long story short, DreamWorks ended up rewriting that script and they did ultimately produce that film. LaBeouf star DJ Crusoe ended up directing Disturbia. And then he also directed Shia in another film that came directly after that called Eagle Eye with Michelle Monaghan. Disturbia made almost $120 million, uh, about $100 million more than the original budget that they had planned. So at this point, Shia is turning into a household name, but he's not quite there just yet. During this time, you could call this right before the predecessor to Shia's real peak in Hollywood. He's hosting SNL, he's going on Jimmy Kimmel, Letterman, 
He's also directing music videos in his spare time for artists like Cage and Kid Cudi. And then, what do you know, Transformers script comes into fruition, Lorenzo de Bonaventura is set to produce, and Bad Boys Michael Bay is set to direct. And DreamWorks is going to handle North American distribution on this deal. And guess who signed on to become an executive producer on the film? Steven Spielberg! Shia's old buddy! The blockbuster fairy was home, and she was happy. Because that movie made about $710 million on a $150 million budget. So what do you do after a movie like that? After a giant commercial success? Well, you lay low for a while, right? Just for a little bit. At least before your press tour for your next movie. So now, at this point, he's getting in car accidents, bar fights, some arrests are going on. Who cares, right? He's a lottery ticket! We can't lose this guy! Now it's getting a little bit scary. Getting a little dicey. And he's also appearing in films like Indiana Jones and The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Now that movie made about $785 million, which is good. And for an Indiana Jones film, it lived up. But unfortunately, critically, his performance, Shia's in particular, was, was kind of panned. Whenever someone's performance is panned, critically, let's talk about this. Let's clear this up. It's not going to be great for your career. When your performance is panned, I can tell you this, representation worries. And as an Asian, you're asking yourself the question, how is this bad review going to alter the perception of my client? How is this going to affect me getting him a job? Your publicist is going to be working hard to try to keep that performance review out of variety uh, as best as he or she can. And overall, you just don't feel great because you put all of your, your effort and, uh, and talent into this performance and it didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. The movie may have made almost $800 million and have been considered a box office slam dunk. But ultimately, the reason you get into this isn't because of the money. Plenty of other ways to make money. You do this because you have to do this. And you keep doing it no matter what. You do it the best you can. It's a job. You stick with it. And, you know, stuff happens. What are you going to do? Being in a position in which you criticize yourself because your movie made $800 million, but you were singled out as having a bad review in the film, that's okay. There are worse situations to be had. And things like that come up all the time, regardless of how big you get. That's life. You got to just take it and roll with it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how Shia LaBeouf got there. Yeah.